0: podcast where artificial intelligence meets real people. I'm your host Athena Morse and I'm joined by the wonderful Steve Burrows and our guest today is Simon Lay, an expert in the field of fire engineering. We've got some really interesting questions as always to throw at chat GPT and uh, yeah I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit Simon to the listeners and we'll get stuck in
1: okay um well, thanks very much for the uh, for, for the build up there um i, I carry the title of just humble fire engineer at ofr um i uh, I, I gave up my ownership rights um uh, a little while ago um all those shares were sold back into the business we created new owners of the business um, and i decided to, to go back into the into the ranks so i spend my days just doing the job and, and, and applying my expertise it's it's great it's uh you know it's it's rather than sitting in the ivory castle and waiting you know waiting and waiting and waiting I decided to step back and do something useful while I still could Interesting. so Simon so you called yourself humble <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh, but probably fair yes. <laughs>
2: I'm just a humble fire engineer so so let us talk a bit about fire so i I'm, I, I i actually uh, we, we're really trying to focus on uh single family homes. So really mm-hmm. that's really where our interest is. But uh in terms of in terms of fire, um I a- actually asked um chat chat GPT what it what is the most common cause of of fire in homes. And mm-hmm. um you know I don't know if you what, what you would have said the answer to that is. I'm sure you probably know what the answer to that is, but uh but this is what it came up with. So um I think they're listed in in priority order. Um, so cooking accidents, number one, you know, faulty heating systems, number two, electrical malfunctions and all of these things. But, you know, do you think we're making homes safer now than ever before? Or, or is with, with lithium-ion batteries, electric vehicles and all the things that go with that, um, are we actually making our homes more dangerous? You know, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's an it's interesting one because we don't talk a lot about single family dwellings, you know, we, a huge focus from the design community and from legislation and such like, is all about multi-story buildings and in particular high rise buildings. Now, there's some good reason for doing that, but at the same time, you know, the place where most people die is in their own home, in a single family home, That that, that is the truth of it. Um, and we kind of put that down to the things that the residents do. Um, and the way people use their homes changes over time you just mentioned there things like you know batteries from sort of um uh, small evs micro evs like scooters and bikes and stuff like that we're, we're bringing those into our home we're charging them so the hazards are changing all the time you have more people working from home you have some people running businesses from home including storage and the such like that changes how we use our homes and changes the the, the hazards and, and the resultant risks so It changes all the time and we kind of seem to, you know, almost label it as, well, that's kind of the the people's fault for for introducing these hazards. But if we can think about and plan a bit more about some of those hazards coming in, then we can, you know, account for it. You know, why don't we have a space where you can charge your micro EV? You know, we're trying to persuade more people to give up cars and, and to use things like electric bikes. So we should have somewhere to charge it. And it should have the relevant cutoffs and, and all these sorts of things. So, you know, it, it's it's wrong to sort of blame people um, for having fires in their homes, even though, you know, as you say, cooking is the number one cause. And, and you know, I've, I've had cooking fires, I have to admit it. I set fire to the kitchen once with a toaster. Me too, um,
0: last year. You know, yeah, it, it, it,
1: but, but, you know, and, and, and fires will happen in homes. But understanding that and then doing something about it, Particularly in single family dwellings, it's not something we do a huge amount about. It's 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 an interesting sort of black hole that's left behind a lot. Yeah, and I,
2: I wanted to sort of just just dwell on this for a moment because it. Do, I agree with you. When you ask ChatGPT, it sort of blames the occupants of the home. I mean, um, you know, it says Christmas tree wiring. I mean, you know, um, you know, faulty wiring, decorations, candles. Mm. It seems mm-hmm. to sort of blame the person, but but I'm guessing. Um, the if you think about it, you know, you know, when you and I worked together, I don't know, a lifetime ago, 30 years ago, and, uh, and it's always about, you know, one is, one is the risk, right? If you bring gas into your house, you introduce a risk and, uh, by, by having gas in the house because you've now got something that can catch fire. And then if if there is a fire, you have to detect it early. You know, that's my understanding is the best way to, to, to react to a fire is quickly. Uh, the longer you leave it, the worse it gets. And then the final part is you have to suppress the fire. And it seems to me that in single-family homes, we really, given all of the progress in many areas, we haven't really improved the sort of uh, approach to risk, risk reduction. We still use flammable materials. You know, uh, uh, we haven't really got much detection, I mean you know fire alarms are very rare inside homes and uh, we don't have much suppression one one of my friends uh, has a new house my house is 20 years old he has a house that was 3 years old and his house has sprinklers mm-hmm. and um, and and I'm you know we had this conversation about you know are sprinklers a good thing or not you know and I have this view that uh, sprinklers can be good or bad they can cool the smoke layer and make it harder for you to escape through the smoke, uh, but they can also suppress the fire. So what, what are your thoughts on this whole idea of uh, risk, uh, detection, and suppression in single-family homes? Do you think there's a big opportunity there to make homes much safer?
1: Yeah, so, so I think there's two things to that. One of the things you sort of hit upon there is, is new homes versus legacy homes, okay? So, right. you know, by definition, every home someone currently lives in is an existing building. And a lot of those are, are are older buildings. And when you go into the urban environment, um, you know you, you tend to get more and more older buildings, and more and more people are living in in older buildings. You know, in the UK, a tiny fraction of our housing stock is is new build within the last you know few years. Most of it dates back, you know, hundred hundred and fifty years. The house I live in at the moment is only two hundred years old. You know, and, and we, we we spend all our time thinking about protecting people in the future, and we don't do a huge amount about Retrofitting stuff. So that that that's that's the first thing to say, and that applies across the whole building spectrum, not just the single family dwellings, but also the big high rise stuff as well. Secondly, detection. You know, there's a lot of great papers. There's a guy called John Hall um, who did some really seminal work on that when he was at um, uh, NFPA and NIST, and sort of back in the day. He did amazing work on that, looking at the importance of detection. You know, if, if there's one thing people can do to improve their chance of survival in a fire, it's detection. Um, You know, we reckon that something like about 80% of fires that start in homes actually don't go anywhere because they're put out or or, or they go out on their own. And it's a really interesting stat. ChatGPT GPT probably knows that the biggest cause of fire in houses or or in single-family dwellings is cooking, but it isn't the biggest cause of fatal fires, okay? And the reason for that is because generally people are there when they're cooking, um, so they have instant detection. You know, the pan's on fire, even if they do nothing about it, they've got a chance to get out and, and, and move on. So, you know, the detection is is absolutely fundamental, and there's there's lots of great studies around that. Um, suppression is 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 extremely useful. It's often touted as as, as the wonder drug, as a, as a, as a panacea. You know, um, I actually think detection's probably more like the wonder drug. It's it's the, it's the really useful one. Suppression, it's really useful, but you've got to look after your suppression. There's lots of things that can get in the way of suppression. Um, you know, the, 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 the bits where the water comes out and sprinkler heads, they're kind of fixed in your building. And if you start moving furniture around and stuff like that, it can get in the way of them. If people paint over them to stop them working. So, you know, there, there's lots of things that can go wrong with sprinklers. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't treat them as a panacea. They're certainly very useful, but we shouldn't say sprinklers, job done. You know, there, there's a lot more to it. And there's a difference of opinion you often find between say America and the UK on that. In the US, sprinklers are king and, and you've had sprinklers for a lot longer than we have um, because it's all driven by the early days of, of insurance and the such like. So there's a greater acceptance, but also a greater reliance on sprinklers. And we have started to see a bit of a trend. There was a really interesting paper done a few years ago it kind of said this over reliance on one particular form of, of prevention or, or, or mitigation may actually reduce the level of safety because people see it as a panacea, but it has its own failure rates. Right. So I, I,
2: I want to just keep, you know keep on this. We're talking about the inside of the house. The way I see it is there's risks associated with with the home, right? Like mm-hmm. like kitchen fires uh, mm-hmm. or or this idea of um people are put in solar panels on the roof, right? And mm-hmm. so right now, uh, what happens is you buy solar panels, you generate electricity uh, when the sun's out, mm-hmm. uh, you have no use for that electricity until the evening. So you you sell it to the grid and mm-hmm. then you buy it back from the grid when you need it. So you use the grid as a battery. What people mm-hmm. have realized is that those things called power purchase agreements um, are in the favor of the utility. So they're buying batteries and installing, having a battery room inside the house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me, that's introducing a new risk, uh, Mm -hmm. which is associated with trying to be uh, more sustainable in your home. And then there's this other issue of climate change, which is introducing all these additional risks as we get hotter and drier. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got these risks now coming from outside that these homes were never designed for. So um, just staying on the on the subject, like I feel the risk is going up. Do you agree? And then secondly, I, I one of the things I was part of a group looking at um, external fire detection systems from forest fires, and mm-hmm. all of this technology is being introduced where you can spot smoke uh, using technology from cameras that are based mm-hmm. on on mast te- te- tele- uh, telephone masts. They've got cameras that are now able to detect smoke and direct the fire services to a risk as soon as it happens. So on the basis, the quicker you deal with it, the easier it is. Why don't our home alarm systems, which also have movement detectors, detect smoke? Why is it that, that, that you know, we're, uh, we're so quick to solve these things outside, but there's really no home detection system as uh, that I'm aware of apart from carbon monoxide detectors? That really detect any fires inside homes. So, what do you think about those two things? One, increased risk, and secondly, you know, home fire detection systems, which seem
1: to be largely absent from the market. So, so I, th- I think some of the, the hazards are changing, uh, and I'm, right. going to be quite, I'm going to try and be quite careful about the difference between the term hazard and risk, um, and, and, and some of the pathways to risks um, uh, and, and manifesting as, as, as consequences are, are changing. Um, Whether we actually have a higher risk is an interesting question. You know, we've had a bit of a golden age. In particular, people stopping smoking has been really useful because smoking materials used to be right up there, um, not just as as one of the most popular um, um, forms of starting fire, but also the most popular form of starting fatal fires. You know, in particular, people who might be under medication or under the influence of alcohol, falling asleep with a fag in their hand is the the, the classic one, or, or, or people going to bed and having a cigarette. That, that, was, that was a real, real issue. Removing that hazard, um, removing that ignition source has, has, has changed things without a shadow of a doubt. You know, we have furniture regulations that, that came in that, that, that changed the things you made, furnitures and mattresses and children's clothing out of and all these sorts of things. So we had a bit of a golden age where the numbers were going down and down and down. And we have to be careful that we don't get complacent. And think that that is due to some great external force or, or, or some bit of magic that means everything's getting safer, um, yeah. because there are always new hazards that are going to come along. So it's about continued vigilance. Um, I suspect that that probably isn't having a massive change on risk at the moment, but there are particular sectors of society, and in the affordable housing sector is a is a big area where we are seeing those risks becoming more manifest. So things like the, the small EV batteries like like bike charging and such like there's been some interesting we're starting to see a little bit of granulation in the data it's a very new hazard but we are seeing some signs that this might be more related to aftermarket products that are sold effectively you know right. through the great shall we say rather than on the high street on the high street you have controls you have trading standards you have you have people that will take them out the shops if they're dangerous you don't have that through all the online platforms and we're also seeing that a lot of the people, you know, um, I'm guessing you have it in, in California as much as we do, but we see a lot of delivery drivers, delivery riders using electric bikes. Um, they take them back to their homes and they plug them in and they're using aftermarket kits. And, you know, this seems to be a problem. And, right. you know, we can't blame these people because they're just doing one of the few jobs they can they, they can do and they're, they're using the, the equipment they can afford. So we have to think about those hazards and how we can actually, you know, deal with that um, and and solve the the outcome, as it necessarily were, because we can't necessarily deal with the initial problem.
2: Well, I, want, I want to just talk about suppression a little bit, but just something like increase increased risk. I mean, just a, a little anecdote, you know, a friend of my son's uh, realised that there was money to be made by going out at night and collecting all those electric scooters. And mm-hmm. taking them back in his, you fill his car with electric scooters mm-hmm. driving around the streets, working for one of the companies, scooter somebody, mm-hmm. and uh, took them home and then charged like a hundred scooters in his house overnight and then mm-hmm. put them back early in the morning on the streets and they paid him for that. Uh, and it was a reasonable, actually, you know, substantially amount yeah. of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just started to think about the risk, right? He was charging like a hundred lithium ion batteries off his mm-hmm. electrical system every night in his house. Seems like a, you know, a crazy risk. And I've been hearing a lot about, um, you know, fires. I've got, you know, lithium ion battery on a, a vacuum cleaner, uh, a lithium ion battery on a golf cart and mm-hmm. they just leave them charging every night. And I've had people telling me you've got to leave space around them and. They catch yeah. fire and the spontaneous combustion. Uh, so is it, is, are, are the number of deaths per head of population in single-family homes, are they increasing or decreasing? What, what does the data say?
1: Um, it went up. So I, I, I know the UK data quite well because so I was looking at it yesterday. The UK number went up very slightly um, in, in the last year. The, the number of deaths in sort of multi-dwelling homes, so blocks of flats, for example, was still going down. But in, right. in single-family homes, it was going up. Now, we have, to be, we have to be careful about this data because, you know, it wasn't a huge increase. It's quite a small number and it's probably more a flat and sort of bumping along type type number at the moment. But um, one of the biggest sort of um, categories of people who are at most risk of fire is, is the elderly and the elderly living in their own homes. That's something that we've done a lot more of of late. You know, um, we used to put you know, um, old people into old people's homes in England. You remember when you lived back in England? Yeah, you had your old people's home that people used to go into. Well, yeah. we kind of don't build many of those anymore. People tend to live in their own home and stay there and, 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 and until they die. And and people want to do that, and that, that's great. But that changes the risk profile um, at, at a societal level. So there's a lot of normalisation and complexity in the numbers. Um, right we're not seeing yet a significant impact from things like evs batteries and, and and stuff like that because it's such a new hazard we have had a couple of headline cases but i'm always slightly wary of headline cases compared to what's happening in the background you know we we we, we don't talk about the 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 old men and women who are dying in bungalows cuz it happens all the time but one person dies from an ev fire we talk about that and and, yeah. and we we've got to be we've got to be careful about you know, forgetting about the normalization of things
2: if you Sorry. take uh electric vehicles as an example you know
1: mm-hmm. that one of the arguments
2: for um autonomous vehicles is that it will significantly reduce the number of road deaths mm-hmm. right and uh, because it's usually human you know human error can leads mm-hmm. to 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 death and you'll remove the risk of human error um, mm-hmm. largely but in homes why haven't we seen a dramatic reduction in the number of deaths? Why have why why you know why haven't we got good home detection fire detection systems? Uh, even if it's only in new homes, it seems to me that we're largely building the same stuff that we built for a hundred years. So why is there zero progress in fire detection inside uh, people's homes?
1: So that, that comes down to jurisdiction by jurisdiction. You know, um, in the UK, we do put fire detection and smoke detection into homes. Um, you know, you have to have smoke detection hardwired with battery backup installed in every new dwelling. Um, right. In Wales, they do actually put sprinklers into every new dwelling, including single family homes. Um, people are quite interested in seeing the data on that. It will take a little bit of a while to, to, to come out, I think, to see whether that is, is, is really providing the benefits they hope it will provide. Um, but there's costs associated with that. Now, the cost of, of detection, and this is perhaps why we're we, we stuck in the UK with fairly simple smoke detection and occasionally heat detectors in kitchens and the such like, is that there's well-established technology. There's standards. So if you're going to install it, someone's going to want a certificate. That certificate relates to a standard. That standard specifies equipment to another standard, etc., etc. If you start introducing things like video detection and the such like, that's great if you're doing a novel hazard in particularly a business-type environment, which is which is where we do use things like video detection. But when you're doing it in a domestic environment, um, when you've also got other things to contend with, like cigarette smoke, candles, party poppers, all the things that people do that sometimes cause fires. <laughs> yeah, burning the tote, et cetera, those sorts of hazards. Um, it takes a while to develop suitable standards, and you know there's a bit of inertia from suppliers. You, know, you might have large contracts and warehouses full of kit they want to sell, um, yeah. but 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 it tends to be more to do with just the, the, the slow inertia of getting standards that everyone can rely upon to allow the new technology to to filter through. But certainly in the commercial world, we are using much more advanced forms of detection. So we use a lot of aspirating detection. Have you heard of that? That's when you have, so so you 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 put your smoke detector in a box in one location, and you run little pipes from that smoke detector to where you want to detect the smoke. That pipe has little holes in it, and it, it samples the air, so it's like a little air sampling system, and it uses a very high sensitivity detector. And we tend to use those in environments where you want very early detection. In fact, you know they can be too sensitive, so they have a learning period that goes with them, and they often have different alert levels, and they will often tell you that you've got a fire before you know, certainly well before a human would know about it. Um, you know, if you've ever been in a room and someone struck a match, you'll know how quickly a human can pick up that sense yeah. of smell. I've seen demonstrations using aspirating systems that detect it as quickly as a human could detect a match being struck, which is pretty impressive. And, because we're the,
2: these detection yeah. systems then trigger an alarm, mm-hmm. which makes, and so it's not, you know, you get, because you don't hear, House alarms go off because of fire. House alarms go off because of burglary. So we seem to be way more mm-hmm. concerned about somebody breaking into our house than mm-hmm. we are from the bigger risk of dying from fire. So one is, one is, so that's, a, that's the, you know, you, you're saying that's changing, but slowly. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other question really is, is, uh, you know, on the cost side, are insurers, uh, aware of the of these risks and prepared to reduce the premium substantially uh for people to have better detection systems to to mitigate the risk
1: you yeah you know, insurers are funny beasts um they they'll they'll ask you to put everything in uh, and and reduce the risk um but they don't always ask offer a reduced premium in return i i don't understand quite how that how that works um, no i don't but, you know, uh, I, I remember a case uh, a, a little while ago, we were looking at um, um, sprinklers in, in some school systems and in local schools. And they were like, so we put sprinklers in all these schools, then surely it would reduce your insurance. And the insurance company went, "Nope, not going to reduce your insurance. we like, well, why not? And they're like, well, it's a portfolio insurance. This is just one of the small risks. It doesn't affect us. It's, we're just playing a numbers game. And that kind of annoys you because you think if there was an incentive, it would be helpful. Um, if you if if they if they incentivizing that the other thing you'll hear insurers complain about is well if you put sprinklers in it might leak and then you'll end up claiming for for damp and and, and a leaky pipe but you're like well I've got a washing machine already and I've got sinks surely you know but there's always excuses it seems unfortunately mm-hmm. from 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 insurers I'm, I'm not you know I'm not I'm not yeah. going to knock insurers too much but I, well you know. <laughs> I
2: do I do know that with with computer power there now our insurance companies looking at project specific risks and are prepared to quote on your particular risks um but they're not they're not not you right portfolio insurance on your on your postcode or your zip code um it's mostly how your insurance is determined so it's the average of the whole area and not just your individual risk so um so that that's maybe one of the things that needs to change to drive better systems
1: I think, sure. as, as a friend of mine said, who, who's who's uh, uh, um, into into the horses and such, like you know, insurance companies are basically just gamblers, and every gambler's got a system, haven't they? You know, and, but they're all still just playing the numbers, and and I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if the machine learning and AI is really going to change insurance that much. At the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. they're still just playing the numbers game.
0: <laughs> just looking at the um, what, what you were talking about the cost earlier, how as well that you know um, the I guess the risk of of fires had gone up with um, elderly people in -hmm. in their sort of bungalows and their smaller homes. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is a, a reflection on the fact that, you know, paying for these care homes cost thousands and thousands of pounds and dollars every single month? And with the cost of living that's gone up even in recent years, it's almost an unaffordable option for a lot of families unless they sell that bungalow. And that's if you know the occupant you know fully owns that that property as well um it's uh you know it, i wonder whether it's related to the the cost of living and the cost of everything that that we're um experiencing at the minute because part of what we're trying to do at era is sort of i guess enable our um homeowners to be able to adapt their home for multi-generational purposes because as you know with the majority of homes not being brand new build and having those adaptations already like an annex or you know a smaller living space for your grandparents to come and move in um, when they need that extra help and assistance um you know what what we're trying to do is to be able to to build a home that you can adapt and you can move for generations in the future but yeah I'm, i'm wondering whether it's um it's a cost related thing at the end of the day that we're just leaving our old folk in uh, in their bungalow as long as physically possible until, well, hopefully nothing goes wrong. But
1: yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. There, there's, a, there's a cost side to this. And, and there's also, I think, an ignorance side to the hazards. And like I say, in saying, well, if if old auntie maud, if she sets fire to herself while she's boiling some milk for a nightly oval team, well, that's that's her problem. You know, well, why don't you give old auntie maud an induction hob rather than a gas hob? You know, it, you, you, you can do a lot to take away these risks. You know, you, you get people who've got um, um, you know, um, um, dementia, particularly people who are are, are are in the early stage of dementia and can live on their own still, but, but become a bit forgetful and stuff like that. You can fit a timer, cooker hops that turn them off. You know, we do it in student halls of residence because we worry about drunk students coming in, putting the oven on, forgetting about it, going to bed and, and, and mainly spending electricity rather than necessarily causing fires. But, you know, you can have these little reminder buttons that if you don't go and push it every 15 minutes, it will turn things off and it stops pans boiling dry. It stops oil burning over. You know, there are there are things you can do when you know that the big hazard is cooking. You know, the kitchen is a place you can do lots of things to reduce the the, the fire hazard. Um, So, you know, and and they're not that expensive. You know, Um, it, it is a relatively small individual cost. But I think your your point about the term we use over here is aging in place um, is, mm-hmm. is is a big topic at the moment. You know, we a lot of this is demographic. You know, um, I'm now yeah you know, um, I'm, I'm 52 at the moment, and, and you know I'm I'm in that sort of you know death alley zone between sort of 50 and 60. If I make it past that point, you know things are looking good. You know, um, <laughs> but but so many people didn't used to make it this far, and and, and certainly didn't make it through that 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 period of time. So we are still seeing this increase in, 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 in more and more old people um, who, will, who will want to age in their own homes and worrying about things like dementia, worrying about mobility and, and, and all these sorts of questions. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure Steve can tell us this, but, but or, or you, you, you might know as well, Athena, but, that, but if, if we think about this stuff when we design the building, it's not a huge cost, um, but it adds huge value. But when you try and adapt it later, it, it you get limited value for greater costs. Am I right, Steve?
2: No, absolutely. And, and you know, that's one of the one of the things I wanted to sort of come on to was like this, you know, think the choices that you make like materials, because because mm. we're seeing right now this sort of um, sustainability is, is getting people to think uh, I call them the wood is good brigade. So. They, they suddenly like the answer to sustainable solutions is not to build a brick house, but to build a wood house. And, you know, fundamentally that's a bigger fire risk, right? Yeah. Wood catches fire. And yeah. so, um, you know, we're, we're, we, we had this thing in, I remember back in the eighties or something where, uh, people, um, your, your sofa had to have, uh, a material that didn't cause, you know, uh, gasses that, that 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 caused you to die in a fire and didn't cause flame spread and and everything changed and um and I'm just wondering you know as you talk about things like gas um are are we making our homes just riskier um at, at the at the sort of on the on the sort of altar of pursuing sustainable goals so we're getting gas out of homes now because we're concerned about the carbon impact It's not because we think it's safer and we're making we're putting wood into our houses because we think it's greener, not because it's safer. So, you know, I I hear you saying technology is improving and better detection and all of that sort of thing and and all of these technologies that can turn things off. But aren't we fundamentally just like making it worse by uh, some of the other decisions we're making?
1: Yeah, I mean, you made a really interesting point a few minutes ago. You said that, you know, we basically build the same thing we're building 20, 100 years ago. Yeah. But we're not. We're we're not. We're we're changed. We're we're building things that look the same on the outside, but we are massively changing the technology that we build them with. Um, You know, in particular, things like factory building and the such like where we are using, you know, materials that weren't traditionally used um, or where we are introducing things like greater amount of timber and such like. because. We can control that and do that in in, in a factory environment, you know, um, there's pros and cons to that. You know, like, as you say, when people are evaluating the embodied carbon of the structure of the building, oh, it looks great. But then you've got the transportation of it and there's lots of other questions about timber. And then you've got its lifetime. And is it adaptable? Is it can you? Um, uh, c- will it last as long? And all those sorts of questions. And that starts to sort of distort, obviously, the, the, the view on on sustainability. Um, there's a lot of green greenwash with timber. Um, we, we, we do a lot of research on, on, on timber and fire. We, we, we sponsor and pay for research programs. We um, manage some research programs as well for some of the big timber manufacturers, mainly interested in mass timber for, for, for larger yeah. structures rather than sort of, you know, uh, panelized timbers and the such like. But, you know, um, the thing we always say is, look, you know, timber, we, we, have, we have very good ideas on how we can make timber safe. OK, um, the problem is a lot of those ideas clash with the design objectives for timber buildings. So, you know, people say, oh, you know, what about timber safe? Brilliant. Well, just encapsulate it, wrap it in calcium silicate board and plasterboard. And yeah. Yeah, if you do that, you'll mitigate virtually, virtually all the hazard. Oh, but I want to be able to see the wood because we're paying all this money for it. And we yeah, want to be able to close that we're being sustainable. And you go, well, stick a plaque up outside, guys, because, you know, if you've got big timber-exposed ceilings, it radically changes the fire dynamics in a compartment. So we, we spend a lot of our time with people who want to build timber stuff going, you know, it's a bit of a negotiation between how much timber they want exposed. We always start at nil, <laughs> and they start at 100, and then yeah. getting to the point where it can be done. But a lot of that is about horses for courses. It's about is it the right material? And if your only reason for building in timber is because you want to look good, you want a bit of greenwashing? Don't do it. You know, you, you've got to have other real reasons for wanting to build in timber. I think um, to, right. to, to to really push it, and, and and then we can do it. But it's a completely different material. It's it's one of our oldest building materials, but it's also completely novel to us in the way that we're using it. And we have to remember that that all of our building codes um, in the US and the UK, that they all come from a very common foundation on on structural fire safety, and we have to remember that they were built around traditional building material. You know, those codes were built around steel, cast iron, brick, yeah. masonry, glass, and the odd bit of wood in things like roofing frames and, 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 and flooring joists. They weren't built around timber structures um, or timber as a, as a significant structural material. So it changes everything. So all those magic numbers about travel distances, detection times, heights of buildings, separation between buildings, all of that just, just falls apart once you start building in a modern material, novel material and wood is novel to us in that regard. But is it, are we at cross
2: purposes? Because is the, is the structural frame, uh, are we talking about the loss of property, right? So that the house burns to the ground if it's made of wood, but maybe it doesn't if it's made of brick. Uh, or are we talking about life safety? Because, you know, I mean, do people die from the fire? Or they do they die from the smoke from the fire? Mm-hmm. And um and I asked Chat GPT just out of interest, mm-hmm. is the best fire detection system you can have to get a dog. Um <laughs> so you know, if you have an existing house and you say, What can I do? Um I'm trying to go, What what's the best thing I could do? Uh, maybe it's get a dog. And it's interesting the answer that Chat GPT came up with. But but just talk a bit about this, you know, mm-hmm. one is one is the risk to property which is just a money thing, and the other one is risk to life, and what do people actually die from in a fire?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, undoubtedly, the thing that kills almost everybody in fires is smoke. You know, the smoke right. gets to you. The smoke can get to you much more easily than, than, than the heat can get to you and the flames can get to you. So, so you know, I think the only situation generally, and, and I say generally, um, where, where people end up dying from the fire rather than the smoke tends to be arsonists who've set themselves on fire. Um, so that, that, that tends to be what, what, what happens there. Um the, the 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 other side of that is is property and, and versus um life safety. So building codes almost universally around the world worry about life safety. Now there are a few codes and a few exceptions within codes where we do worry a bit about property and societal impact. That tends to be in things like healthcare and public buildings like schools. Um where we can recognize that there's a societal benefit to not having them burning down. But right. even in those situations, it is still, you know, predominantly focused on, on life safety. And there's a, there's a big question about that. You know, I mean, we, we all pay insurance companies um, and should society, I mean, is there such thing as society? We can go into all of that sort of question, but but should we all be paying more for our houses and then still be asked to pay the same insurance premium? Um, I, I, just, just just so that we, we have fewer insurance losses, because if everyone's got insurance, do you worry about the property loss? Now, that gets quite interesting when you start talking about sustainability. Um, and if you've got a significant number of fires taking place, which you traditionally didn't have, but I'll come to the caveat on that at the moment, um, then you would say, well, the balance isn't there. You know, you, we're not losing entire blocks. We're not losing entire streets or communities yeah. to this stuff. Uh, you tend to lose one property at a time. That's an, that's an unfortunate loss. Each, each loss is still a very important individual tragedy to, to the people involved. But hey, it's insured. Insurance company pays out. Move on. With the shifts we're seeing, you know, some, some of the wildfire issues we're seeing and, and and the elevated risks, perhaps, of fire spread. Even you know, we, we talk about wildfires and people think about bushfires and and, and forests being on fire and the such like. I'm I'm pretty sure that living in California. You're more aware of the fact that, you know, that it's little crap. bit of ground between you and your neighbor can catch fire. Oh, and that's a crap. bad fire. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know. Um and and you know, in places like Australia, you go back to the Ash Wednesdays and stuff like that, we're very familiar with these problems. And and, and we're starting to see, you know, the, the the fire coming back into the suburban area um yeah. because of that. And you are now starting to see the potential that you, you know, as we've seen in, in unfortunately in, in Hawaii recently. Um, entire communities um, being taken out with significant loss of life. So yeah. you look at that and you kind of go, well, if we were only really worried about property protection, actually when there's a tipping point on this stuff, it actually does become much more about uh, a community protection that needs to be thought about and how we regulate around that, whether you do it on the individual basis or you tackle it at a community level is, is quite a complex question because it will always come down to who's going to pay for it. And if we're trying to build affordable houses on one side, on the other side, if everyone's got to pay more, because some people live in, in you know, luxury isolated mansions in the woods and some people don't, you can see how, how people will start to you know, debate that, that particular problem. And it's a complex societal question. It,
2: and, it, and it is. I mean, just to give you a sense, of, we were evacuated about six years ago um, mm-hmm. from a grass fire that was coming towards us. And, um, and I was in, in my back garden with my son. Looking at the fire coming towards us, because we 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 look over over the hills, and we could it was like a black river. Uh, I don't know if you can imagine that it was you know the wind was mm-hmm. blowing it was blowing towards us. We had aeroplanes flying over, dropping water on fire retardant mm-hmm. onto the hills, trying to put the fire out. Mm-hmm. We had more fire engines than I've ever seen in my life, uh, and they mm-hmm. just kept setting up basically a defence point and then withdrawing. And just withdrawing and they were just like, you know, trying to, trying to break the fire uh, Mm -hmm. and and cut it off. And it was, it was coming towards us. So Mm -hmm. it was pretty terrifying. It was like a war zone, Mm -hmm. but the, but the, but the issue afterwards when, when, you know, we reflected on it, our homes have been built too close to the open, to the, to the open space grass. Mm -hmm. And they never envisaged at the time they sighted these homes that that was, that was such the risk that it is today. And so our question really is like, what do we need to do to protect ourselves? And it has to be something around the outside of the building to protect Mm -hmm. us from those fires. So we have these two sort of, you know, detection systems and suppression systems. One is from fire coming from the outside. And then the other one is from fire coming from the inside. Mm -hmm. And they're very different. And none of these homes were designed for either of those two risks uh, as, as they exist today. Mm -hmm. So, um,
1: um, I was I was in New Zealand a few years ago um, when they had some some big fires um, and uh, it was quite interesting because because I was there for a mountain bike race and the first day of the race was at a mountain bike center um, and that had external sprinklers attached to it um, because right. they'd recognised the the, the the fire hazard um, and they, they they they'd install sprinklers to protect it and in the hills literally I was staying one hill over from where the mountain bike center was and that entire community um up on this hillside was, was almost wiped out save for, for pretty much one property um which fortunately yeah. happened to have a small lake on it and that was the one which the firefighters congregated around and and, and happened to be owned by a friend of mine which is where i was staying you know um we we moved on before the fire started so we we, we kind of you know, we did our race and we moved further south down towards queenstown um but we came back and and, and discovered you know the streets full of smoke terrifying absolutely terrifying yeah, situation terrifying, yeah. and we couldn't go up to my friend's place because it was it was cut off by by fire and they were using it they could only get in and out by helicopter and the fire crews were using it because he had a small lake because he had a small holding of animals and the such like for for fighting the fires on that on that hillside um and i know from being in canada um seeing you know sitting in whistler and they're just a whiff in the air of the smoke and it's it's you know yeah. and I, I worry that that because um, certain communities and particularly perhaps more affluent areas, they are installing things like, you know, external sprinkler systems. They have the money to, to, to create fire breaks and to manage all this stuff. You will see those communities, you know, um, living with the risk of fire, you know, yeah. and they'll reach a point where it becomes just normal to them every year to have the fire season. oh, look, the fire breaks have done their job all the sprinklers that we've planted around the perimeter of the property have done their job. We'll move on. But not every community can do that, and um you know it, it takes a big community effort and a lot of money to do something like that, which yeah. affordable homes don't have so you know maybe may we think about that when we're designing affordable homes, and we we, we design in some of some fire resilience
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, just to, just to you know uh, this has been a sort of fascinating discussion about fire in the home and yeah. and you raise the point of you know can we design the problem away and the answer is yes you know mm-hmm. the uh, uh you know we nature helps us a little right so so fire mm-hmm. is hot and because of yep. that it rises so we mm-hmm. can allow smoke to rise uh, escape from a property before it impacts people you know there are design solutions where we can provide alternative ways to escape from spaces Mm-hmm. Um, so that people have a choice if one route is blocked off by a fire and they're not trapped. So mm-hmm. I agree with you 100% that good design can mitigate a lot of these problems. We could, you know, we could. This could be a very alarming uh, mm-hmm. podcast to listen to, you know, and you could <laughs> instill a, a fear. But there is a sort definitely of, putting
0: uh, me on edge.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, I think I think we're talking about you know we're talking about life safety here, and so. You know, it is something like every, every time you cross a street or drive a car, you, you take a risk. And, yeah. and, you know, living in your house, it may feel like it's your castle, um, but there are risks of, of, you know, going to sleep at night. And yeah. uh, and the house has, you know, still got power and it's still got gas and it's still got all of those things that are still there and, and, are, and are a risk. So yeah. design can mitigate this a lot.
1: It, it it can and you know it, it, it's a bit like you know, don't you remember the old Crime Watch logo, Steve? You know it's it's a uh, you know violent crime is still very rare. You know you, you, yeah. you can go to sleep safely at night, and for most people that's absolutely true. With fires, yeah, you know, fires are are still a rare event. Although yeah. you know they happen regularly enough that most people have experienced it. You know, two of us have already said we've had kitchen fires that we've caused ourselves. You know, no, I'm and not that, coming
2: for dinner. You guys can't uh, cook,
1: clearly.
0: Mine was electrical. I've got to say, got to, I I. Basically, I just, yeah. I put some sausages in the oven. We were at a, a brand new rental property that we just moved into. Sausages went in the oven. And after about 10 minutes, we heard an almighty pop. And then just smoke started coming out of the, the top of the oven. Um, so I'm running around in circles thinking, what the hell do I do? You just ring the fire brigade straight away. Because It's like, I have no idea. Um, and turns out it was an electrical fire. It wasn't the sausages wasn't me
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but yeah one of the the wire from the um the hob was touching the top of the oven underneath in that that recess and as the oven heated up it, the wire obviously went mm-hmm.
2: and well, green, yeah, caused an electrical fire. cook is putting sausages
1: in the oven enough so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, sausages five and one. croquettes. <laughs>
1: I, I, I've had two fires in my house. I had one in the kitchen where I had the toaster underneath the cupboard that had candles in it. And the candles got warm from the toaster, the wax dripped through into the toaster, bang, huge flames coming out. The other one, though, um, I was in my shower and the breaker in the shower um, in the wall caught fire inside the wall. The shower went off. I stepped out of the bathroom and I'm like, what? And there's smoke coming out of the wall socket. So it's inside the wall. Um, so I ran into my office where I have a fire extinguisher and a hammer, um, and I hammered into the wall, shoved the fire extinguisher in the wall and let it off. Uh, and and I I just stepped out of the shower. I am completely naked at this point, running around (laughs) with a fire extinguisher and then still hacking away at the wall, chasing this fire and it burned, you know, big, big chunks of the stud. It was, it was pretty scary, but hey, fires are fairly rare, it says. Yeah.
2: well, I'm I've so I've glad, a question we've, yeah, I've glad we've provided you.
1: some reassurance to people here. that uh, <laughs> <laughs> we well, Steve, I've
0: got a question for you, Simon. Right. If your house is on fire and your bathtub is full, mm-hmm. if you were to sit in the water, would you be safe or not?
1: Um, how long can you hold your breath underwater for? I mean, are you we could <laughs> do, like, free diving? And, and, but, 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 you know, um, no, um, um, get out. Um, okay. <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> Uh, I won't run a
0: bath then the next time I I, I wouldn't
1: run a bath um, and I wouldn't stay in the bath because um, it's the smoke's going to get to you and your head's got to stay above the water. So I I would I would not stay in the bath. If you are, if you are, you know, if there's a fire in your house, get out. You know, Um, if it's if you're there when the fire's happening, like cooking fires and you know what you're doing, you can try and turn it off. You can try and put the fire out. But if you don't know what you're doing, don't do that. Just get out um, and, 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 and call the fire brigade, you know, and, and have a plan for that. We used to have we used to have public information films in the UK that used to sort of appear on Saturday mornings in between cartoons, yeah. you know, and they stop were Stop like Drop in, and Roll. Stop, drop and roll. Um, there, there was um, never, never, might well set a man trap that was about unfixed rugs on the floor. I mean really specific risks, really, really interesting specific hazards and risks, to be honest. But but there always used to be ones about like shutting your doors at night. And we used to have fire prevention officers would come to your school and talk to you about that. Um, And and one of the things that that we do at OFR is is we quite like digging into like some of the practical research and information about real fires and and what's going on in people's homes. So um, some of our people did a research project a couple of years ago, looking at um, the impact of people who own pets. um, And because people tend to leave their doors open at night in their homes because they've got pets. And and they're more likely to, to have doors open. If you've got your doors open and a fire happens, you know, like an electrical fault somewhere, um, it's more likely to cause you um, a, a problem. So it's 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 really interesting that when you start digging into that and looking at the, the, the things that can, you know, create hazards and stuff like that, you know. Um, yeah, I, th- I think someone yeah. said once about you know, urinating on things like Christmas trees and stuff like that can be a problem. seasonal <laughs> yeah, <it's a> <laughs> <laughs> uh, hazards. Well, that- seasonal hazards as well. well it's sort of been history are a whole separate topic there's a there's a brilliant thing every year that's done by nist where they burn a christmas tree and if you're a fire engineer you get sent an email that asks you to estimate what the fire curve for burning the christmas tree this year looks like and they'll tell you all the details about the tree and you have to predict it and there's a bit of a prize and a bit of prestige if you get it right um but if you see a christmas tree a real life christmas tree burning it's Pretty impressive. They you go know, on. I do mine every year as, as a matter of course, yeah. and I take it out right. of the garden and burn it, just to you know remind people of that. <laughs> not a pyromaniac at all. You know, this this, this that's
2: not... Yeah,
1: we. I
2: have always thought fire engineers are just uh, arsonists who decided to get a job. So, um, <laughs> <I'll see>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
1: and on that note.
2: And on that note, I want to say thank you, Simon. It's been—it's uh, always—it's nice to see you. Honestly, it's been a while, and it's great to it's see been you. you are looking well. Been looking well. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, really yeah, no, enjoyed, it's really
0: good to meet you, Simon.
2: Really enjoyed talking to you, and thanks for your time.